this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, speaking of that union, we have our, is it our, should we say our longest running union member? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the man who has brought us um, such albums as The Gits, The Sharp, Def Rhyme, Molar, Hoss, Rakane, Cosmic Psychos, The Cruel Sea, The Backbeat Soundtrack, Mantissa, Anthrax, David Lee Roth. <laughs> what? <laughs> And that's just the ones he's appeared on. It doesn't even include the ones that he suggested before we had people on, which probably is a whole nother list. But as you can tell from those albums, there's quite a few that are Australian in their origin. So perhaps we will be returning to the Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> For a blooming onion. For a blooming onion. Welcome you back to the show. Steakhouses down there. Oh yeah, do you? We have one. Gavin Reed. There you go. So, it, did they originate there, or is that like an Americanized version of something I that's in? I think they originated over there, over with you guys, not with us. Oh, that's a shame. I was, I thought it was authentic. <laughs> no, well, here it was just called the Steakhouse. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So, like, you know, when you go to France, you don't call them French fries; you just call them fries. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, is that right, Jay? I've never been to France. Have you, you call them Freedom Fries? Freedom Fries. <laughs> Fritz. They're called or Fritz. Yeah, Fritz. Fritz. Palm Fritz. Palm Fritz. That sounds way too fancy for what they are. Right. It's, you see that's... on the menu, you're like, ooh, what is that? Dude? Palm like, Fritz. These are French fries. Like, oh, you really gussied that up. <laughs> <laughs> Putting put some lipstick on a pig there. So I mentioned that your pick this year is from Australia. Can you share with everyone? Well, not this year. This is the, your second pick of uh, of this year. Actually, your third because you have your your aught. We haven't included your 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 bonus episodes, your aughts and your eighties episodes in there. We also talked about the Nation Blue this year. So this is your third pick. The gets the Nation Blue. What is the third pick? For 2023 uh, is the Dirty Three and their album Horse Stories. Uh, no idea if the Dirty Three made any penetration over where you guys are. Watch that oh, word. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, PG PG podcast. <laughs> hey, we're doing the toy. Um, <laughs> yeah, whether they whether they got there or whether they're just kind of referred to as those guys who know Nick Cave. Well. That's a good question. I knew the name, but I'd never checked them out. I knew that they were connected to Nick Cave somehow and Australian, but I had no idea what they sounded like. 
and I had misconceptions that were radically um, off about what this band sounded like. So all I knew, I kind of recognized the album artwork because this came out in the nineties and I feel like it probably was delivered to the radio station. I don't remember us playing it. Maybe, maybe a specialty show did, but uh, Jade, does the name dirty three ring a bell with you? It does. I remember seeing this a lot in magazines. It got a lot of marketing and advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, well, either this album or one one of the albums in the nineties, because uh, they do have a cohesive look to the album covers. I'm assuming somebody in the band is painting them all. So they use a consistent logo all the time, a consistent look for the album covers. And I definitely remember seeing them hearing the name being intrigued by the name like hmm what is that like a three piece with like 70s rock band like what's going on here uh but had never gotten a chance to listen to them and didn't really have a clear idea of what they sound like i had no idea that they had any connection to cave so i'll explain the connection to mr cave said said cave um so it's a three piece warren ellis on violin and bass guitar mick turner on electric guitar and bass guitar and jim white on drums they formed in melbourne in 1992 and um warren ellis kind of was a guy that was around for a while from what i understand um he was was he in the allman brothers <laughs> wrong um he he was I, th- I think he went to a music school like a private high school and he studied classical violin and then he moved to europe and he started busking around europe like greece and hungary scotland ireland playing violin and collecting tips and went back to australia um, and started writing music for theater groups and at like art openings, like not connected to rock music whatsoever. Um, so in 92, he forms the band Dirty Three with Mick Turner and Jim White. Um, now, those two had been in bands together before. Um, Venom P. Stinger was a noise rock band in Australia in 85 or that formed in 85. Um there's a number of bands that they were in either together or, or separately. So they put out the first album, um, which is, I believe self-titled in 93. It was just a cassette and then followed it up with a CD um, in 94, which I, th- I don't think it was an exact um, like they didn't just take the songs from the first record and re-record them. I think there were some, but not all. Uh, the uh, Wikipedia is not clear on that. But anyway, uh, they ended up for their next record. Um, then there was Sad and Dangerous, which came out also in, or that came out in 95. And then they signed to a ra- label called Anchor and Hope, which I guess had a connection to Touch and Go Records in the United States, because that's this is the record that ended up like landing them a U.S. record deal with Touch and Go, which is the big like Chicago post rock label that has like the Jesus Lizard and 
Tortoise and a whole bunch of bands. Um, so this album was released in September of 96. It was recorded in London. Uh, the band produced it themselves. And then they followed it up in 1998 with Ocean Songs. So at some point, I'm trying to remember when it was, but Warren Ellis, you know, he's doing the band, I guess in like 92, and he is asked to come play on a string section for uh, Nick Cave's um, 94 album, Let Love In. And then they were, they liked him. So they said, would you like to come in as a full-time member of the band? And he said, yes. And he went from just playing violin to playing other instruments as well. Um, and then they liked working together so much that he became Nick Cave's um, partner in Grinder Man, which is the side project um, uh, away from the Bad Seeds. And he ended up scoring music with Nick Cave for movies uh the proposition which i believe nick cave wrote the screenplay for um that which uh, stars like guy pierce and it's like a very gritty western and then he did the they did a, the um, scores for the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford the road and far from men and they've just been touring together ever since and making records and doing all that fun stuff. There's a bunch of scores that Alice has done um, away from uh, the, the bad seeds. And then he's also like collaborated with other people like Kim Salmon from the surrealists worked on a record with him, uh, worked with cat power, Marianne faithful, so he's kind of been around in terms of working with people playing violin and whatnot on their records. Oh, he played on Primal Screen's record in 2006, Ride City Blues, too. Interesting. So that's the story, Jay, of Warren Ellis. And you recognize him because he um, has a massive beard, kind of looks like um, uh, someone that might be a, a wizard at Ren Fairs. Looks a bit like an Australian Kim Tail. Yes. I don't know. I, I assume that it's, I thought it was Thayall, and I guess it was wrong because I've heard it other ways. Yeah, I just so, say it and then tell you, then say that I'm probably saying it wrong. He also plays the bazooki, which is not a bazooka, it's a bazooki. It's a stringed instrument that looks like a, a mandolin with a really long neck. Hmm. I'll, I'll throw in a couple of, of a bit more of a connection there. So yes. Nick Cave plays piano in the Dirty Three if um, if he's got some spare time in the in the live setting. Um, it's never announced. He just he's just on the side of the stage playing piano. Uh, um, the original setup for these guys was um, somebody who was uh, like Mick Turner and Jim White's friend bought a bar in in Melbourne. They said in the background. I just want you guys to come in. Can you just come and play day-to-day happenings of the bar? And then they recruited um, Warren who came and joined them for that. So that, that was the origin of the band and probably why 
they have the sound they have. Um, Warren's explanation as to how he wound up with a violin was he was in high school and the teacher said, oh, we're going to do violin lessons. How do we, um, does anyone want to do it? And he said, every girl in the class put their hands up. So he thought this is a good idea. I'll put my hand up too. Um, then he went to the lessons and there was no girls there. Um, <laughs> so he said he played all the uncool instruments. He plays the piano, accordion, the violin, and there was like a harp or something like that. He says he plays all those. Um, the art installation stuff you were talking about, he literally plays to the paintings, like not to the room of paintings, to a particular painting. You just stand in front of it and you'll wind up laying on the floor and all kinds of nonsense, um, just playing an improvised tune to the painting. There's a quote from Nick Cave that um, I wanted to read. He said, Dirty Three are my favorite live band. No contest. I think it's because they don't have a singer. <laughs> there are three musicians working together, one no less important than the other. And well, you can get lost in that. Their music washes over you and you're away. When I watch them, they ignite something. I start having grand plans and hundreds of lyrics leap into my head. That was he was quoted in the um, a book called the 100 Best Australian Albums that was released in 2010. What number did this score? I assume they put this one in. I don't know because I don't have the book. Let's call it one. <laughs> Over the Saints. Uh, tough. Yeah, there's a there's a few vying there. Yeah, I'll. I'll I'll come up with a list for next time. <laughs> okay. Excellent. So let's get to some comments over at our Patreon page. We'll share the poll results at the end of the show. All of our patrons get to vote on uh, the ratings for the albums. Were the album better EP and decent single? And we got some comments to go along with the votes. Michael Jin said there's Jin's said there's something deliciously subversive about utilizing feedback from a violin. I agree. Darren Lehman said, although there are some nice textures and audio scapes, this album is just not my cup of tea. Okay. Those are the comments. Let's get to the record. I think the album's more a glass of hard red. A hard, hard red of what's wine. that? Oh, wine. I, I thought maybe hard. You don't, you don't want a delicate red. It's it's a heavy Shiraz. It's it's got a nice bite. Yeah. There you go. And it's towards uh, the bottom of the bottle. Jay. Yeah. Share one thing you liked about horse stories by Dirty Three. I've never heard anything quite like this. And I don't think it's because of the instrumentation. Like I've heard these instruments played together before. Uh, so it's not as much about the violin in itself. It's, I think the violin and the combination of the performance of how these three people are playing together. It It's really really interesting in how they construct and then deconstruct these songs to the point where you know there will be sections of songs or maybe a beginning let's just start with the first track on the record where I mean the drummer just sounds like some guy or somebody in a kitchen opening cabinets like for a, for a minute and you're like uh, what is going on 
And then all of a sudden it, not all of a sudden it like slowly over the course of, you know, 10, 15, 30 seconds starts to make more sense. And then they pull together in this really cohesive, gorgeous melody. And then it'll kind of fall apart again um, or get chaotic. And I think what makes it so compelling is that you're pulled into, I think, the push and pull between the three people. It just it grabs you and just doesn't uh, let you go. Like you, you can't ever step out and sort of analyze the music. Like you're immediately immersed in it. It's it's very unusual in that way. I think we've heard other and reviewed other records that play with deconstruction. Uh, sometimes, like in a more technical, like um, you know, either electronic or sort of using digital tools to deconstruct or production techniques to deconstruct, but this is like deconstruction through performance, which is very, I just, I don't know that I've heard anybody quite like this, regardless of what instruments they're playing. You know, they could be playing just guitar, bass and drums. And I think it would be the same effect. Now, I think it's aided in maybe enhanced by the by the violin because it's just such a um, specific sound in that it can be very tense and also very pretty uh so i i think that is maybe the word to me where the violin is um you know important to the sound but not the whole story uh, so I, I think overall, it's just this really unique tension between beauty and chaos throughout the whole record. You sort of like, you know, it's got this almost country Western sound to it and the way that the violin and guitar sounds together. Um, so, so you kind of transports you to a space like that, but then it gets very chaotic and almost like punky in some sections and post-rock with like how noisy it is um but you know it's it's a record where i you feel like you're about your whole you're just you you're trying to grab something and you finally get it in your hand and just as you get it in your hand and you start to look at it and study it and understand it it like crumbles and then you have to go try to gather it again you know it's just this constant push and pull between realizing something, understanding it, seeing something beautiful, and then of it just crumbling into chaos. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a really unique album for me. I, I, I can imagine this being very compelling live. Um, it sounds like a performance. I would suspect like this record doesn't, if, you know, these takes are not something you can replicate. You know, they're, kind of probably got some idea. it feels like they give out ideas here and they're capturing things to tape as they come but every time you probably see them live it's a little bit different
so that's that's what worked to me. It's just a unlike anything else. What worked for you, Tim? Well, I, I want to say up front, I thought this was going to be like I said that I, I had ideas of what the record was. Um, I thought it was going to be sort of like twee-ish indie pop or indie rock. Yeah. And I'm glad I was wrong because this is a pretty amazing record. Um, you captured it with Warren Ellis's violin is so emotive. And at times it sounds like funeral, funeral procession music. Mm-hmm. Um, but like set in a Western, like you said, like it has this yeah. air of it, it sounds dusty and, and very weathered. And I think what works so well is that it's easy to make noise, but it's hard to make good noise. And him being a classically trained violinist, the people he's playing with are are vets of, you know, over a decade of playing in various noise rock bands. They all are good at what they're doing. So the ability to deconstruct from a from a position of knowing how to construct it in the first place makes it, I think, much more compelling than, say, just a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing, pick up instruments and make noise. Yeah. It's it's a a really unique ride. I was trying to think of stuff to compare it to. And the only things I could think of were, were soundtracks. Yeah. Um, Cause it's really hard. I mean, obviously we've heard instrumental post-rock bands explosions in the sky is an instrumental post-rock band. Yeah. yeah. They don't sound anything like this because the, like you said, like there are parts where the drums sound like he's just assembling them. Yeah, like he's he's twisting the knobs on the snare and and testing mm-hmm. this the, the the sounds and and just like tapping the the toms to get them the mic set like and then all of a sudden there's this very deliberate beat that comes in and yep. you know and and not to focus entirely on um what Warnellis is doing but like the guitar playing is really beautiful it's um Mick Turner is doing a lot of really nice finger picking, a lot of kind of complex like arpeggios and and I don't even know what is entirely happening all the time because I end up like hearing one thing and my brain kind of latches on to like, oh, what what did the violin just do there? That was crazy. And then I lose what I was paying attention to. Um because it almost works. I I know there's individual songs, but it works so well as like a just one piece of music where it's just taking you through these different feelings. Essentially, um, I do find it interesting that there one of the songs is a cover, which I was like, "What? What?" <laughs> so tr- track four is a cover huh. of a Greek song, Mia for a. Thy Mamiai, uh, written by Giannis Spanos, um, who was a Greek music composer and lyricist. Uh, he passed away in 2019. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> and I, you have no idea that's a cover when you're listening. It sounds so in so 
tied into the rest of the record in terms of its sound um it's it's not even it, there's no nothing to differentiate it in the in terms of their approach of of how they it would have been wild if they just threw like a regular song in the middle of the record <laughs> just to mess with people but right. i think that's i think that's what i really like is that they're not messing with people this is very earnest this is like you said, it has like a jazz element where you feel like this could go different places based on how they're feeling with the live version of this. Um, I want to throw to you, Gavin. Have you ever seen them live? Um, uh, yeah, probably seen them five times, I reckon. So um, what what is the live experience like with them? Well, weirdly, this particular album is played very true to itself it's not so it gets a little bit more chaotic and shambolic as you would imagine as live is it's a bit louder and a bit faster but this one is played pretty much straight up and down I've, my experience um and it's been a little while with these guys um has been that the other albums or the other songs tend to get shifted around and changed and just worked with in a, in a live setting as hmm. you know as, as you do they jam on them a bit and this one this one tends to get played very earnestly. Hmm. Interesting. So what works for you on this record since you suggested it? Um, well, the first thing I'll say is just in case anyone was wondering, this is an instrumental album. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I don't think we've mentioned that. Um, yeah. What works for me is, is um, I don't know, it's kind of like an everything. It's 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 an everything and nothing. You know, it, it's it's that it doesn't sound like anything else. I was really intrigued to hear what you guys thought it was going to sound like, and then what you do think it sounds like. Because you can ask ten people, and they'd come back with, or like you guys have both said, post rock. I think it's more noise rock or noise rock and roll. Um, but you can call it whatever you want. I agree with the the jazz element. Um, but I, I think one of the things I love about this album is that when you listen, and you know, obviously people who listen to this podcast do this, when you listen and intake as much music as we do, you want something every now and again that's just different, and this is different. Like you can't, you cannot say, oh, it sounds a bit like this. You know, or if anything, it sounds a little bit like Grinder Man, but it's not because Grinder Man sounds like this, you know, a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, that's called kind of the only reference point you can give it. Um, I think you've both actually described the sound really, really well. The the juxtaposition between um, chaos and beauty is, is kind of what it is, the falling apart. Um, and I, I love that it's both beautiful and you can have it on in the background and you could have it on with your parents in the room and then at certain points it would also scare the shit out of them. <laughs> um, right, because it's parts of it are so beautiful and yeah. and they they're like sunsets like that's the only way i can describe yeah. it i can't like describe it in a way that makes sense it, it's like i'm looking at a sunset and then it's like a nuclear explosion goes off yeah because there's so um, much racket and and craziness happening
one of the things that I like in music is when people make music that you can just interpret however you want. Um, I don't know if you, if you picked up on um, Sue's Last Ride, but there's a YouTube, two-part YouTube thing, a short movie made by Brian Molko that involves that song as, as its background. And it's a it's a young woman being driven to a Dirty Three concert. So you know how that song starts very slowly with the do, 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 do you know, and then builds and builds and builds. Um, and she's talking to the driver who is not identified to us um, about issues she's having with her father. And as the drive goes, that song speeds up and speeds up and she gets louder and more animated. And then she's at the concert. Um, and, then after, and then there's a bit where she's, left the concert, it's morning time, and she's kind of humming that tune, and we shift to her dad himself, who is playing the album on vinyl in his room, and, and he's the only word spoken in this, where he's, uh, well, only words he speaks, um, where he's wondering whether she's lonely. And so that's an interpretation of that song. When I hear it, and I think you, you've expressed the same thing, I hear it as the soundtrack to a Quentin Tarantino Western. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I can hear... The, the sun coming up and the two guys wandering into the middle of the street about to draw on each other in that build and then that explosion being what happens and then a bit of regret as to having to do that, you know. Um, somebody else could have a completely different interpretation of it. It might be about boats, you know, or horses. Um, and that, that's what I like about it. And it's why I, I'm, not, I'm a person who I don't watch film clips. I don't, I don't watch music because um, I don't like seeing somebody else's um, story as to what that song's about, particularly when these days a lot of it's produced and it's not actually even what the band was thinking. Um, I just like to experience it. And this this album is that. You put it on and you experience it. And it's not always the same experience. Sometimes I turn it off because I'm just not up for the for the violin. My son doesn't dig it. <laughs> Got some learning to do. Um, and then other times... And, and this is an outlier for them, I find, too. So the, the, their own description is that this album was when they were at their most chaotic, and, and it sounds that way. So they've been on tour. This, well, they've been on tour for quite a while at this point, but this is a band who didn't only play every day of the week. They played multiple times a day in Melbourne. So they, they'd go from pub to pub and just play all the time yeah. um, to get going, which is probably why they why they can generate that cohesion and build and fall apart t- together, you know? Yeah, right. As, yeah. As, as, you know? um, yeah, the other albums that are around this are, are far more ambient. Um, I, use, I I have them on the background all the time when I'm reading and things like this, or things like that. Um, but this one ha- has a few moments where, where it will force its way into what you're doing because it, because it gets so abrasive at times. Um, so it's a bit of an outlier from them on that front. But, yeah, I, I just love it's... It's its ability to be interesting and different every time you listen to it. It is hard to draw a comparison. I mean, I, I mentioned explosions in the sky, but again, it's that's a completely different approach. I mean, I, I hear like there are some elements taking the violin out of it when there's chaos that almost sound like Sonic Youth at their like early Sonic Youth, very noisy or mm. like the sort of the druggy haze of heroin by velvet underground when that's building and, and it's going through its evolution. But again, like the, it's the, because of the sound of that violin and he's able to get some like really beautiful stuff and then really abrasive stuff. 
that just separates it and puts a different spin on it. I think there's a thinking about some of the bands you just mentioned, there is a technical ability here that I'm not sure is in those other bands. Uh, maybe explosion of the sky, but there's a, you can tell that like they could play whatever they want. Technically. I think they could play all kinds of different music perfectly to you know, in a traditional way. Mm -hmm. They're choosing to play this way, which allows them to like, you know, when they hit those parts where, you know, there's a big sweeping melody and everybody's together, it, you know, it's transcendent. And then they're free enough to be able to then let that fall apart and be weird, which a lot of musicians who are technically great can't do that. They just <laughs> like, they have to be technical all the time. They, yeah. they can't understand the concept of just like being emotional and letting it go. And like maybe hitting notes that aren't exactly right all the time. So I think to me, as we think, talk about it, that's what really makes them unique. It's so rare to find bands that have the technical chops, but then also the creative ability or freedom to let those go and do it all within the same song. And uh, yeah. And the fact that there's not a singer is absolutely the right move. Like I could see a lesser band try to stick a singer on top or maybe somebody like talking or something like that. But like just going pure instrumental is absolutely the right move. We would be spending this for a move talking about how the singer is driving us crazy. Right, exactly. <laughs> there are no lyrics that you can sing on top of this that are going to out right. emote the music. Yeah. Yeah. I feel a um, bit like this is where Trent Reznor is always trying to get to, but obviously using a different, slightly different, more electronic format, but he's trying to get to this, like this level of emoting and um, we've used the word a few times, weirdness, but once you've listened to this album and gotten it and you don't get it on the first go, I don't think, um, um, it become it doesn't seem weird at all but the first couple of goes you're like this is you know it, there's different points where you'll turn it off most likely but then when, once you get it it doesn't seem weird at all it makes complete sense assuming you're a person who likes it but, you know, there's a moment where it clicks um, I'm sure there's plenty of people who listen to this and just go yeah that's that's not for me <laughs> and that would have been me 20 years ago absolutely no way I would have enjoyed this 20 years ago I would have been like this is dumb. <laughs> like, I would have not have had the the musical depth of knowledge to even understand what I'm listening to. I would I would have thought, oh, these are just like three guys who are just making noise. Like they clearly don't care. Mm. And now I understand much better. Like, oh, okay, I see where this is coming from, and I can appreciate it. I've listened to a lot more like instrumental ambient music since then too. So I don't think I'd ever listen to an ambient record. 20 years ago and now I listen to it like daily. So that just, you know, <laughs> old rockers need their ears need a little break every once in a while. <laughs> Gotta listen to some some birds chirping <laughs> like you're at the spa. It definitely um, suits our current demographic more than our uh, 20 years ago demographic. Y- yeah. Also it's just a constant noise of life. You just want like something that's just a droning note. <laughs> just cancel it out jay is there anything that doesn't work for you on the record well 
it's for me, it's, it's a stressful listen. Like I could not listen to this passively. Um, I'm kind of fascinated by, I could not have this song in the background and just not be pulled into it. And then it's, um, it insists that you, you, you're involved in it. Uh, so, you know, as I spent time with it, I started to realize that, you know, having on the background just made me like agitated, (laughs) you know, it made me a little bit angry and then like upset. And I started realizing it was like, Oh, because I keep getting pulled into this record and I can't like, just not engage with it. It just will not let me ignore it. Uh, so uh, the version I have is has the bonus track and it comes out to about an hour. And it really, to me is an album, like you have to just get through that and just sort of like you're saying, Gavin, just get used to it. And it starts to make more and more sense. Or you need to just like grab a whiskey and turn everything else off and just listen to this because it's going to be a battle if it's on and you're trying to do something else, it's not going to let you just do that other thing and be in the background. It refuses to be ignored. Um, and I, I think that's by design, right? And I think that's what also what makes it so compelling and unique and uh, interesting. So that's a weird, unusual feedback for me in terms of what doesn't work, but right. Uh, I think in the, you know, the, it's rare that I'm able to do that anymore. You know, it's rare that I'm able to just sit down and listen to a record. In fact, I can't remember the last time I've done that, you know, just sit down, put a record on and listen to it. I'm always doing something else, which I would right. assume is what most of us are doing now. We're always multitasking when we're listening to music and yep. it's a tough listen. If you, if that's, if you're not able to sit down and really pay attention to it, anything not work for well, you, Tim? Well, I think it's it's an album. Like this isn't something you're going to divide up and go. I'm just going to listen to. I just want to listen to one of these songs. Like you're in it for the whole long haul. Um, I I disagree a little bit. I think I, I I don't know if it was a passive listen necessarily, but I actually found this good writing music. Um, oh sure, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're uh, looking for inspiration, which usually I don't listen to things that change a lot. Because I don't want to be distracted when all of a sudden it gets real loud. Yeah. But I but I did find the most of this record really worked really well as background music for writing, for um, creative writing. Yeah, creative writing. Yeah, yeah I could see that. Uh, just because it's it just evokes. It's very it's evoking. Well, it's a, that's what you said about Nick Cave, right? I mean, you yeah. can let it. I think in that case, you're maybe letting it take you on a journey, and then it's just kind of a muse that's generating all kinds of different thoughts versus if you were doing like technical writing or like, Oh yeah. That would work. <laughs> writing emails that, to, to the boss is not going to be don't, yeah. right. Where you're trying to shut off the creative part of your brain and really, you know, do a focused task that, you know, requires you to concentrate on something and not let your mind wander. That's going to be rough. Yeah, in some ways, you know, I listening to it in headphones, it like you're like there. Yeah, it reminded me of listening to like, 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 like European ancient folk 
or like Indian, like raga music, like sitar music. Not that it's the same sounds, but just the intensity. And you mentioned like it's it's almost agitating in its demand that you listen to it. Like you you cannot just put this on and go do laundry. Like <laughs> you're you're gonna sit and listen to it. Like it was right. kind of like listening to like a Ravi Shankar album in a way, mm. which um I didn't get think I would ever get into. And then we did that Indian Ocean episode uh with Tara many years ago, and I was like I was asking her, I'm like, where should I start with if I'm interested in some more like traditional stuff? And she started recommending things like like Ravi Shankar. So um, and luckily, his albums are not expensive used because he made a lot Mm. and a lot of compilations. Um, Gavin, I know you picked the record and you have an affinity for it, but is there anything that doesn't work for you on this album? Um. Again, probably something I wind up saying about a few of my selections. So maybe I'm someone who likes difficult music, but it, it's the inability to listen to it as often as I would like to because the situations where it's appropriate to listen to don't exist very often, which I think you've both sort of said the same thing. Um, I've given, I had a couple of times at work, but most of the time, no. Um, and then around the house, but this. Yeah, this album has those moments of abrasion that don't really work that well around the house if the kid's just playing cars in the lounge room. Um, the following two albums, um, Ocean Songs and Cinder, are brilliant for that. They don't have those breakout distorted moments. They're, they're fantastic for background. So if that's what you want, give, give those a go. Cinder in particular was, was always my go-to for that. Um, but, yeah, I guess I, there's nothing I dislike about about this album um, and the things that the general public would dislike about it, I like. And as a result, it, it's, I sound like a total wanker, um, but this is a, this is the kind of music that when I listen to it, it makes me feel like I'm smarter than everybody else if I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think that's true. <laughs> that's um, I, I don't know. It's it's definitely like you're in a special club if you if you dig this record because it's not a lot of people uh, of the eight billion people on this planet. I'm pretty sure it's a very small fraction who ever heard this record and even less who have enjoyed it because it's so specific. Uh, there might be dozens of us. I, I think it did really well in Rolling Stones um, albums of the year that year. I feel yeah, like it was in the top ten. It was top three. Um, Top three, and again, I feel like that is very much a music critic going, you know, look how smart and interesting I am by putting this in there. Now that's an interesting I, point, yeah. Because I would have, if I had read that in 1996, I would have been like, he's just trying to be cool. Like yeah. this album stinks. Who would listen to this? Because yeah. <laughs> I totally would not have gotten this in in 1996. Well, when but, you said before, I've seen them live. I've seen them many times because they've played many times and they're on many festival bills that I went to. I've never actually gone to see the Dirty Three. Oh. So been, and I regret that now because I'm, I'm really into them now, particularly having listened to this 100 times for this review, that they're my favourite band at the moment and it's all I'm listening to. Um, and I wish I could go back in time and just go, because they played at all of my local pubs, you know, to just go up there on a Thursday night and have a couple of beers and listen to one and watch these guys and definitely think 
that I'm smarter than everybody else because I'm seeing something that's going to be amazing. And in 20 years time, you'll get it. That's incredible. Like that is the perfect like description of you sitting at a bar, you're drinking a, a beer and you're just like mesmerized watching this band or a whiskey mm. as Jay preferred yeah. earlier. Like that's the right, like I, I wouldn't want to see them in a big glossy venue, like a no. dirty bar is is like the perfect venue for this music yeah. um so <laughs> we don't need to discuss uh, why this didn't do better because it's <laughs> not going to get on the radio uh i mentioned it was probably at the station because the F fm station 88.1 in bowling green would play experimental music would, would it had a world music show it had you know experimental music shows all that kind of stuff underground stuff that our more mainstream am station would would not play so if it was in our station it was probably not long that it moved over to wbgu um but yeah this isn't getting on any clear channel radio station in 1996 there is no hope of that um so let's get to our final ratings on this record were the album better ep or decent single i'll share the results from our patreon page in a moment but jay where do you land on this record well my instinct based on uh at times how stressful this record is was to pare it down thinking oh well if he you know if it was shorter i could sort of get in and out experience it without it sort of taking over an hour of my life and not letting go um but i don't think it makes any sense to like what songs would you pick you know i mean i tried to go through and like pick songs out i'm like well it's either you're in for this or you're not mm -hmm. um so I, I think I'm in a worthy album for that reason. I just think it's so compelling and unique what they're doing. Uh, you know, I, th I think it's inspiring to listen to as well. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, sort of modern lifestyle is <laughs> makes this a difficult thing to when we are in our lives, maybe it makes it a difficult record to, to appreciate without some work, but sometimes you, it's, you know, it's, it's nice to work for things. Um, end up liking them more so mm -hmm. i think this is a record worth given give yourself a couple listens at least just to just and kind of imagine let it take you somewhere even if it's only for brief moments you know where you can kind of focus on it let it let it go i, I think it's worth um giving it a go and uh, i'd say it's worth the album where'd you land tim well that's an interesting point you just made i'm also at a worthy album um the thing about you saying you have to work for it a little bit yeah um that reminded me when uh we were traveling overseas we were in italy over the summer and we were remarking that like you know it's an rome doesn't bend to people right. you have to bend to rome like the streets mm -hmm. are the way they are and it's a mm -hmm. little uncomfortable so you just gotta like toughen up and just walk in the heat right. and these cobblestone streets 
And maybe it's a good thing that it's a little bit uncomfortable that you're that you not every moment of your life is dedicated to making it as easy as possible for you. Right. Yeah. Um, so that made sense when you said that in, in relation to this record, because this record is not ever conceding like, okay, now's the pretty part. Like if you find this pretty great, but this is a one long expression of some really interesting players getting together and, and be fascinated to know how they write these songs. Like if they're all jams, if, does the guitar player come in with a little motif that he keeps re- repeating and he wants to turn that into something, you know, I, I, I would be fascinated to, to see how they actually construct this stuff because I know how other bands do it. You know, I know when the lead singer comes in with a gu- acoustic guitar, he's like, I've got <laughs> right. this song. Here's the three chords. This is the chorus. This is totally different. So, but we're the album Gavin. Uh, clearly, it's a worthy, worthy album for me. Um, right there. Um, yeah, I, I would say to, to Jay's point of um, not being able to have it on, definitely try Cinder. It will resolve all those issues for you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have yeah worthy album. Um, I know that they for the first few albums they um, just wrote as they sort of performed, like the the, the songs were created. I think the one fourth, I think um, fourth album was done in the studio. Um, as far as why it was at your radio station, um, there's a touch and go, and then I think Albini, Steve Albini, right. produces the album after this one. Um, to reference your artwork, Mick Turner does the artwork, so you spot on there. It is one of the band members doing the artwork, but yeah, worthy album. Um, can't get enough of it. Even the um, artwork is a little tense is like is that horse jumping off a cliff is that what's happening yeah i'm not sure i, I mean it's, that is a buildings are those buildings on fire it's the burning buildings and the horses jumping away from them into into the sea i guess that's the horse's story to tell to bring it back to the help cover well and this is not a shock to me. Um, the vote was 67% worthy album, 33% decent single. And I'm going to hazard a guess that if it was instead of a decent single, it was nothing is I like nothing about this record. I feel like this is a polarizing record. Yeah. Like it's either a worthy album or it is not a worthy album. <laughs> and you don't want to yeah. hear it again. You could very well put this on and be like, no, <laughs> like. Can't do it. There are of uh, Gavin's a wanker. You would have gotten thirty three percent on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm like, I'm not going to put this on the next time we have friends over at like nine o'clock at night, and everybody's you know drinking and whatever. This is not going on. <laughs> I'll, I'll put on, you know, the Chronic by Dr. Dre for all the gen xers <laughs> this <laughs> i can't imagine a, a worse party killer mood mood killer at a party i don't know man it might get might get wild might start like fighting and stuff or like somebody might just like slowly pull out a knife you're right they're right. just dragging it across the table <laughs> it's getting interesting yeah 
I don't know why. This, this, it seems like it would turn dark. Yeah. Well, Gavin, this is, I, I know you said you've had some challenging, challenging entries, but I feel like this is the one that probably tops them all. I mean, those were all bands with singers and guitars and drums and stuff like that. And yes, there are drums and guitars, but this is way outside. And I'm glad you brought it to us because I don't think Jay and I would have found this on our own until somebody either put it into a poll or suggested it like you did. So thank you. No, well, we- no worries. And even in the poll would have probably struggled. I, I know I try and listen to all the poll albums, but I generally listen to the to them once or maybe I get halfway through and I make my mind up and that wouldn't work for this anyway. Yeah. Right. This this would not succeed in a poll. It's it's it requires some some deep thought. So, thank you, Gavin, and uh, thank you for being the first union member. Um, we'll have to uh, put up a plaque, like holding a flag, the DMO flag, planting it, like the first person to do so. Uh, Jay, get on that with our merch people. You could make it, you know, kind of you kind have, of patriotic, but also do you, uh, Australians hang flags up in front of their houses? Only the ones who are a problem. Okay. Same, <laughs> same thing here. Yeah, it's generally a pretty good sign that you don't need to go to that house. Yeah, I think they're yeah. very much the same people that you were talking about. Yeah. I've never yeah. understood covering yourself in the flag of the country you're in. Like I, I you're already deep- here. I think there's some deep insecurity there tim i think there is <laughs> I, let, let's set aside the fact of like the whole point of a flag is to respect it and treat it with like dignity and like making it into a pair of underwear and putting it on your dirty ass is not the way to <laughs> respect the flag but wait when i see the roadrunner sure i'm not cartoon, sure that's what it's about when i see the roadrunner cartoon giving me the finger wearing american flag shorts on the back of a pickup <laughs> you're saying that that's not patriotic <laughs> I mean, at this point, I guess it is. I I don't think it is, but who am I? I'm looking at you guys. That's that's how the rest of the world views America. I know. That's what they think we're all like. <laughs> I know. Yeah, there's a. Uh... We're sorry. We're sorry. No, we just went on the flag one. We just had a uh, referendum here about whether our indigenous um, population should be given a a voice in parliament. So it was called the voice vote. You just had a referendum. You voted yes or no. Um, and yeah, unfortunately as a, as a country, we voted no. Yeah. I um, saw that. So everybody who voted that way would definitely have a flag in their yard. Yikes. Um, disappointing. Wow. Yeah. But no, you know like what? That can never even happen here. I, I, it wouldn't happen here either. If, well, if, I mean, the, the vote wouldn't even be allowed. Like, we wouldn't, no. it would never be even structured that way. Like, nope. even at a state level. Nope. You got to gotta slice those all up, make sure they're gerrymandered. Right. You don't want a single group of people having a particular voice in government. Anyway, let's not go down <laughs> that spiral. Uh, if you would like to be like Gavin, you can join us over at the DMO, at DMOUnion.com or digmeoutunion.com to join the union, suggest albums, vote in polls, uh, get our exclusive aughts episodes every other month. 
We've got over 20 80s episodes exclusive to Patreon, and now we're doing the aughts. Just recorded an episode recently, and there'll be another one coming up soon to close out the six for this year. It's also where you can read the box newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter that goes out every weekend of new releases of 80s, 90s, and aughts relevant music releases, books, movies, documentaries, pamphlets, other things, maybe an an email, a well-written email. Uh, And also two reviews, one-minute reviews of new releases each week. Digmeoutpodcast.com is where you go to sign up for that, as well as suggest albums for our monthly polls. And lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback for the show. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. I'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. 